welcome everyone to the spoken nerd or hopefully i'm saying welcome back to anyone that's a frequent listener to my podcast i'm your host connor mcdonald and i will apologize in advance it's very hard to get a quiet location to record a podcast episode nowadays we've just entered spring here in perth and the birds outside are going absolutely nuts i'm sure there's very Prospective male birds and female birds all getting it on outside, but it's very hard to actually keep the place quiet. So apologies in advance if you hear plenty of squawking and squeaking outside. Rest assured, there's nothing untoward going on outside. It's just the joy of spring. Regular listeners will know most of my podcast episodes are about getting back to basics. And today I thought I'd go back to the ultimate in basics, which is what I consider the single most important skill you can have as a IT practitioner. And I'm referring here not just to the Oracle space, just in case you were thinking, oh, he's going to talk about read consistency model or acid transaction model, etc. No, today is about non-tech and still what I believe is the most single important skill you can have as an IT professional. It's something that affects me and comes to me every day when I'm dealing with the Ask Tom website. That's probably enough of a clue. Today's topic is how to ask for help. Here is why I think it's a critically important skill. No one in the IT field has all the answers. There are two obvious reasons for that. One is the IT field is too broad. There are simply so many things going on all the time in the IT field, even though we often see people on their CVs nowadays going, yes, I'm a full stack developer. The second reason is IT is a constantly moving field. The knowledge you have today might serve your business capacity now, but the reality is every business is going to read the online equivalent of a magazine, pick up some new technology which looks all shiny and bright, and all of a sudden you have to learn something new. No one is going to have all the answers. Moreover, no one should be expected to have to go it alone all the time. I mentioned this in my first podcast episode when I said every problem that is already solved should not have to be resolved from scratch from every IT practitioner. Yes, that does run the risk that we'll encounter some lazy people who want everyone to do their work for them. But by and large, we have to expect that most people in the community, when they ask for help, are genuinely asking for assistance as opposed to getting someone to do their job for you. And as I said in the first episode, the moment you ask for help, you learn something, that's something that hopefully you'll take as an opportunity to then share with your immediate community and maybe even the broader public community, and ultimately we all prosper. It's certainly my experience that most people are hesitant about asking questions. People often feel bad about asking the questions. I don't think that's the correct mindset, although it's a common one. The reason people don't like asking questions is they often feel like they're being a bit of a failure. If they couldn't solve a problem themselves, therefore they failed in their job. Because let's face it, most people get into the field of information technology from a development perspective because they like solving problems. That is generally the field of IT. You have challenges that you have to solve problems for. Thus, people think, if I got into the field as a problem solver, Having to ask for assistance, therefore not being able to solve the problem myself, makes me feel like I've failed a little bit. The second reason people often do not ask questions anymore is that they used to ask questions. They may have asked a question on a public forum and then were publicly ridiculed about it. When you are publicly ridiculed on a forum, yes, it hurts, but I think really there's only two things that have occurred here. 
Number one is you may have gone about asking your question the wrong way. And that's okay. It's something we can learn from. Yes, it hurts the pride a bit to be called out in a public forum, but if you've asked the question in the wrong way, and we'll talk about that in this episode, then it's something that we can learn from. Maybe you asked your question in the right way, but some self-entitled elitist on the forum was rude and belittling to you. Even that is a good result in a way, because you don't really want to be seeking help or getting help from someone who is that way-minded. People that are rude and just throw out off-the-cuff remarks generally don't put a lot of thought into the answers they give you anyway, and therefore they're not the kind of answers you're going to be wanting. And in particular, on most public forums, if people are being rude when they're not entitled to be, others on the forum are going to call them out on it. So it's not your reputation that's going to suffer, it's the reputation of the self-entitled elitist that deigned upon themselves to speak badly to you. The key thing, in my opinion, with being able to ask questions and successfully ask questions in the IT field is to recognize that software is a team effort. And let me explain further what I mean by a team effort when it comes to Q&A. I've often spoken about the importance of building community, whether it's on my podcast or in my webinars or even on presentations at conferences. It takes me back to a movie I watched years ago. What was it called? Oh, Witness, I think where Harrison Ford goes undercover as an FBI agent in an Amish community. And there's a great scene where the entire Amish community come together on a particular day and they build a giant barn. And to be honest, I think it's the amazing musical score in that scene that I like the best. Also, the fact seeing Harrison Ford in a role where I kept expecting to see Chewbacca roll up with a hammer and start helping out with the barn as well. That's my Star Wars roots showing through there. But as a metaphor, the concept of the entire community coming together to solve a problem, I think that's the same with Q&A. It's a team effort. Just to mangle the metaphor even more, think about a game of soccer or football, depending on how you call it in your part of the world. Yes, it's a team game, but what if you have that one team member that just hangs around the goals looking to score while everyone else runs their backside off? And then the person who was hanging around the goals gets the goal and yells, hey, aren't I a hero? No one wants that guy or that girl to be on their team. That's the same in terms of asking questions on internet forums, asking for help. You have to play your part in that team. You have to contribute to that team. So what is your part? What is the role you have to play when it comes to Q&A besides just asking the question? A lot of that comes from what you do before you ask the question. Here is your role as a team member on Team Q&A. When you're about to ask the question, the first thing you do, you have to do a Google search or Bing or whatever your favorite search engine is. See if you can get an answer that way. If you can't, then it's time to hit the documentation. And I know that a lot of documentation for software products, Oracle included, is very much the style of reference material, not targeted in terms of solving problems. Therefore, being able to digest reference material and convert it into solving the problem you have at hand can sometimes be difficult. But it's important that you take that step. The next thing is to talk amongst the people you work with, your IT colleagues. This isn't trying to dissuade you from asking publicly first, but if you can talk amongst things with your own team, that's generally how you have the best success because if someone knows the answer, the whole team prospers and they're the people you're going to be working with every single day. If you're worried that asking questions regularly in the team you work with is going to somehow paint you in a bad light, is it going to cost your reputation in the team? Then rest assured, 
you've got other issues to worry about. You're already in the wrong team anyway, in my opinion. That's a red flag right there for me in terms of I should be looking for a role elsewhere. Because if you can't trust in your teammates at work, then that's a pretty toxic environment. All these things you do to try find the answer before you log a question on a public forum. You should take notes while you're doing this. Take notes of the research you did with Google searches, where docs you looked at, what questions you asked and what answers you got from internal colleagues. Keeping a note of this is important, as you'll see later. If after this effort on your part, you're still looking for an answer, you don't haven't solved your problem yet, it is then time to reach out to the broader community. And I want to stress, this is getting the balance right. This is how you do not cost your reputation in the broader community. Being a good community member means you spent some of your own time and effort first before you went to the broader community. That proves to the community that you are a team player. You've done the research, you've done some effort, but you're still hitting a brick wall. Conversely, you don't want to spend too much time trying to solve a problem before asking around. That seems strange because you would think we would always reward the more effort you put in, the better. But the reality is if you spend too much time researching and trying to find out an answer to a problem, you'll see why that can be a problem in itself shortly. If at this point you're thinking, oh man, I'm just being lectured here that I'm not putting in enough effort before asking questions on Ask Tom and other forums, I say this not as a way of getting rid of effort on my part. I say this because this makes the answering process faster. This gets you answers quicker, which obviously is your aim. If you haven't done that research, then the two most likely results when you ask a question are one, people just ignore it because they can obviously see that you haven't put in the effort. The second possibility is people who do reach out to help you are going to have to have a constant amount of back and forth. Can you explain more about this? Can you explain more about that? I don't understand when you say this. That makes the whole answering process slower. That's what I mean in terms of getting your problem solved quicker. If you haven't done that research, either you don't get an answer at all, which is no help to you, or the process of moving your question forward, your problem forward, is going to have so much latency in terms of people going back and forth asking for more information that once again, your net goal, getting your problem solved, just gets longer and longer. So after your research and checking the docs, how do we ask a good question on a forum? Well, the act of asking consists of obviously two things, contacting people and what you actually send them once you've contacted them. I broke it up into two things because there is an art to even contacting people. There is a good etiquette for asking a question and finding the people that you want to ask that question to. If you've ever been in a meeting and someone asks you to take the minutes for that meeting, you'll probably go, hey, no problem. I don't mind doing that. If in every meeting someone says, hey, Connor, take the minutes, you get annoyed. You start thinking, what am I, your personal assistant, your personal butler? It's the same with asking questions on forums. If the only way the person you would like to inquire upon, someone you know is an expert in this particular field, if the only way you can get in touch with them is with email, then fine. But most of the experts in the community nowadays are regular participants in Q&A sites. They're either on Ask Tom or Stack Overflow or the OTN forums, even on Twitter. If you know they are regular participants there, this is how you reach them, even if you do know other mechanisms of getting in touch. 
one of the things that often frustrates me is I'll get questions coming in via LinkedIn all the time. And I have no problems with people reaching out to me on LinkedIn. What does bother me is often the conversation starts with, oh, we went to Ask Tom first and we saw you had the banner up saying that you are currently too busy with other questions and I couldn't ask my question, so I thought I'd reach out to you on LinkedIn and ask here. That's the ultimate in just being a queue jumper. That's a lack of politeness in understanding that experts who are there to try help you, their job is not to drop everything and work on your problem. Their job is to manage their time in the same way that you manage your time and do their best to make the entire community prosper. No matter how you reach out to someone, critical to that is also the reverse conversation. You have to make it really, really easy to reply. I'm always amazed when people will log a question on a forum and they'll say, oh, please send your reply to, and they'll include an email address. In any web forum, asking for a reply via email is just plain rude because you're saying to the person, I expect you to regularly check back on this website and solve problems, but I'm not going to spend the effort coming back to this website to check for answers. Similarly, on a web forum, the act of asking a question should generally always be a public one because the answer is designed to not just help you, but to help the entire community as well. On Ask Tom, we have a do not publish or a private question option when people are asking questions. We provided this because sometimes people want to phrase their question and they have some sensitive details. They may be building an application, they want to share some code, and they're not allowed to share that code publicly because it's the property of the business they work for. That's totally fine. That's why we provided the facility. However, what tends to happen nowadays on Ask Tom is people often tick that box saying the question is private and there's absolutely nothing sensitive in the question details at all. They're doing it because they just don't want to share the fact that they had to come asking on a forum for assistance. If I'm being honest, we generally deprioritize those questions to the bottom of the queue because our job is to build the community and to increase the knowledge of the entire community, not assist those people who don't want to contribute knowledge to the community. And of course, now we come to the crux of asking a good question on a forum, and that is what do you put in your question? And this is critical. As I mentioned before, we're trying to get problems solved quickly. Forums probably are similar to the world's highest latency network, because if you don't supply the correct and needed information up front for someone to solve your problem, you're going to get either ignored or you're going to get a ping back asking for more info. It's like a bad network. Lots of slow interactions back and forth, and eventually people trying to help you will get frustrated and the network will just drop out altogether. What will happen is answers will simply dry up. No one cares about that question anymore. The first thing you can do to make your question appealing to anyone who's considering helping you is to write it as well as you can. My experience has been with Ask Tom, in fact, most forums, is that questions that are phrased quickly, just thrown together, the punctuation isn't good, the grammar isn't good, if it's generally sort of you know, carelessly put together, then what happens is it's not just the writing that is careless or thrown together. Often the thought process behind the question is similarly careless and poorly put together, which makes me think, well, maybe the code example you're about to send me is probably careless as well. That doesn't make it appealing to be answered and also is a red flag because the experts on the end of the line are thinking this is going to be a lot of to and fro to get to the true meaning of the question. I want to stress here, this is not about people who do not have English as a first language. I'm incredibly impressed because the vast majority of Australians are monolingual, 
the ability for people whose first language is not English to write well-phrased questions on Ask Tom always blows my mind. But if English is not your first language and you're not skilled at it, even that's fine. You simply put it in the question, English is not my first language. People will happily make allowances for that. And it's obvious when someone is just struggling with language as opposed to not caring about the language. The content of your question really should stand alone. It should be a question in its own right, totally self-contained. There shouldn't be any other assumptions in that question for your own environment. It's important to remember that the person who's going to look at your question ultimately probably doesn't have access to the various library functions you may have included in your question. They may not know all the utilities you've built. Unless it's a common open source piece of libraries, for example, the logger framework, etc., you cannot make those assumptions that people wanting to help you here are going to understand what you've got in there. The moment you have code in your system that relies on other parts of your application which you haven't provided in a question, no expert can take your code and run it on their own system. And if you can't run code on your own system, it's almost impossible for people in the community to try assist you. The moment it won't compile, they're going to lose interest and move on to the next better question. When it comes to the amount of content in a question that you're posting, I have this interesting term that I literally just invented for this episode called the verbosity paradox. And what do I mean by the paradox? Well, the first thing you want to be when you're asking a question is as concise as possible. If you lob a thousand lines of code into a question and ask someone why doesn't it work, you're probably going to get no takers or you're going to get a fairly terse response. If your application has a problem with a 1000 line piece of code, your job is to try shrink that code down. Let's see if the problem still occurs when I've cut out all the fluff and made it a 500 line example, and then a 200 line example, and then maybe ideally down to a 20 lines of code example. So you've narrowed in on exactly where the error is occurring. Funnily enough, even the act of doing this, being part of your research, often helps you solve the problem. Debugging a thousand lines of code is hard. Debugging 20 lines of code is very, very easy. If you do that effort yourself and end up with 20 lines of code that still has a problem, A, you've eliminated a whole lot of code from consideration, which is a positive, and B, a lot more people are going to be inclined to look at this and help. The joy of very small code examples that don't work is when it's presented to someone on, say, Stack Overflow as an opening question, the code normally looks quite plausible in terms of it looks like it should be successful. And plausibility is a real hook for people wanting to solve your problems on public forums because they'll glance at the code and think, yep, that looks fine. And then you're saying it doesn't work. That's a hook. They'll be much more interested in trying to help you. So keeping the verbosity in your question as small as possible is critical in terms of getting people to look at it. Let's go into the paradox now. You also have to be very verbose. Now, is that a contradiction? No. What I'm saying is, is that sometimes we are brief in the wrong way. A lot of people will post code and simply say, I did this and it didn't work. Please help. This isn't like the Bourne identity, all those kind of spy movies where we rattle off a few keystrokes and suddenly we've hacked into your network and we can see your screen and we can see all the context and all that's going behind the scenes here. When someone on a forum is trying to help you solve a problem, it literally is like they joined your company today as a new starter 
and therefore you would need to explain the terms and terminologies in your question as such. We get questions on Ask Tom and someone will say, oh yes, I work in the finance sector and here's our code. We need to fix the tax calculation for the end of month hedging actuals for the accrual balance sheet capital returns. And I'm like, okay then. It's important that you be able to phrase the problem without business-dependent knowledge because the people trying to help you are unlikely to have business-dependent knowledge. Remember earlier I said, if you spend too long on a problem before you reach out for help, that can be a problem in its own right. That's where I return to this particular point. If you are extremely close to a problem and you've been doing research on it, it's possibly been consuming your time. It's consuming a lot of your hours of the day trying to nut out this issue. Often you can be too close to a problem as a result. You've made certain assumptions before you wrote your question. You've headed off down one probable path of solution before phrasing your question. And the question is trying to lead people down to that solution where perhaps that solution was the wrong approach entirely. And in particular, once you've spent a long time on a problem, the insights that you have on particular problems and the particular business scenarios around it are things that experts in the field will simply not have when they're trying to help you. Ideally, what you want to do is be able to phrase your problem and phrase the requirements of what you're trying to solve to someone who is outside your company and they can still understand it. If you're struggling with this, if you're thinking, well, no, I need someone who understands finances in order to explain this problem, then there's probably a good chance that you have not thought about the problem carefully enough. I'm not trying to be insulting here, but all problems, no matter what the field, come down to here is an obstacle, here is what I'm trying to accomplish, how do I get from A to B? So if you've put in your question lots of business critical terminology, and when someone says, look, I need this simplified, and you're going, well, it's, it's really hard to explain any further, that probably means you don't understand the problem yourself correctly. You understand the framework in which it sits, the business requirement, but you haven't been able to phrase that problem in a language that gets down to the root cause of the problem itself as opposed to the business fundamentals around it. Don't get me wrong, we're not always going to be able to do that no matter how hard we try. That also means you don't want to get defensive or angry just because the person on the other side of the forum says, I don't understand what you're talking about, or can you explain more, or why did you do this way? It doesn't mean they hate you. It doesn't mean they think you're an idiot. It simply means they're trying to think of ways to get a better understanding of the problem. If you phrase a problem and someone comes straight back to you with some advice that rounds counter to what you were expecting, they might say, oh, I wouldn't be going down that plan of attack if I were you. Same thing. It's not like they're trying to insult you. They're just trying to bring their particular realm of experience to bear on this particular problem. And finally, if they say something really trivial, like if your problem was I cannot log into the server and someone comes back and says, are you sure you're using the right password? It's funny how many times people will respond with, of course I'm doing that. I'm not an idiot. Don't forget, the person who's trying to help you doesn't know whether you're a total novice or an expert or anywhere in between. They often don't know what you've tried or haven't tried. That's why sometimes when experts will put information out to you, you'll think that's so obvious, but it's not to the person trying to help. It's important to keep that mindset that this person is spending their time trying to help you. If you ever respond to someone who put 
a comment in your question like, did you try this? And you reply, do you think I'm an idiot? Rest assured, they probably didn't before that moment, but now they do. This really all comes back to the concept of doing your best, no matter what anyone says on a forum to you, not to get offended. Probably the best way of describing this is if you're a regular on Twitter, search for the Ricky Gervais segment on guitar lessons. Namely, he talks about the fact that when he tweets things and people who follow him then report back to him saying, I was offended at that. It's similar to being on forums. If you're posting on forums and someone replies to you with something that you deem offensive, be aware that that is part and parcel of you being a member of those forums. You have to take the good with the bad. And it's important to have perhaps a moment's reflection. Sometimes people will say something that they did not mean to be rude or offensive. It just may have come out that way in the poor medium of forum postings in which we can't convey a lot of emotion. And don't get me wrong, sometimes people are deliberately being inflammatory. Even then, take that moment to say, well, did I deserve this? Probably the most two common ones you see is people get upset when someone posts back to them RTFM or read the manual. Maybe that was the correct response. Similarly, the other one is STFW, search the web. Was that the correct response? Recall earlier I said it's important to keep that research you performed before asking a question because you can annotate that and put it into your question. Here's where I searched on Google. The following links didn't help. Here's where I looked in the documentation, but the examples there were not particular to my problem. Those kind of things will stop you from getting responses such as RTFM, STFW. Even if someone is just outright rude to you, it's always important to be the better person in that exchange. Always be polite. Rest assured, others with more experience on the forum will jump in and support you and call out people who are being obnoxious or rude just for the sake of doing so. Remember that you being part of this forum-based community where we ask questions and answer questions is about being on a team. You think of a sport like ice hockey where you'll see fights. If you see fights between two opposing players, you tend to just laugh it off. But if you saw a fight between two players on the same team, you'd think something was seriously wrong. It's the same on the forums. We're all on the same team. As I said, it's important to reflect if someone has given you what you think is an inappropriate response. Maybe the phrasing of your question has warranted it. Common ones I see are when you post a question and someone says, this is urgent. Of course it's urgent. Everyone's problem is urgent, but your urgent isn't our urgent. It's people giving up their time to help you. Marking your question as urgent is a red flag to people, and they'll generally call you out on it. Another one that commonly comes up is you're phrasing a problem and you assume everything that you've done is correct and therefore it must be some fault in the product you're using. Rest assured, 99 times out of 100, the select command in your SQL query is not broken. It's more likely to be something in the language you used or the database design. Select generally isn't broken. Finally, if you've navigated this complicated world of asking a question and you've got an effective response, always show that you're a team member of the community. If you've asked a question and no one helped you and then you managed to answer it, take that time to post that answer back to the forums where you asked the question. That helps the broader community and encourages more community members to help you next time you ask a question because they see that you're a team player. 
the more likely outcome is that someone on a forum has answered your question for you. Even if that happens, it is worthwhile taking that answer, recoding it or recasting it into the terminology that makes sense for you, and then posting that back to the forum as an example of a completely top-to-bottom solution for your problem. All those things are showing the community that you're a team player. You're a member of this team, team Q&A, that makes the entire community's knowledge grow. Even after all of that, sometimes you'll ask a question and no one will be able to help despite everyone's best intentions. There was nothing wrong with your question. There was nothing wrong with the way you coded your attempts at solving it. There's nothing wrong with your research. Understand that this is part of real life. Not all questions are answerable. Sometimes you just have to accept that fact and move on. One thing that won't do your reputation much good in the community is to simply grab that question and repost it verbatim in the same forum. Posting it elsewhere is fine if you didn't get luck in one forum. Posting the same question at the same time on multiple forums is generally considered poor form because you're now taking up multiple people's time. Probably best to work through one forum at a time. Hopefully, all of that helps you navigate the supposedly simple but in reality complicated world of asking questions on forums, Stack Overflow, Ask Tom, etc. If you keep in mind that everyone here is genuinely trying to help you prosper and succeed and phrase your questions with that in mind, I think you'll be successful. If you have any feedback about this episode, please reach out to me on Twitter. I'd love to hear what your thoughts are in terms of the way all of us conduct ourselves on forums, whether it be asking questions or answering them. I'd love to hear your experiences as well, such that we can continue to grow and prosper as a community. That's all for this podcast episode. I hope you enjoyed what we had to say about Q&A. And I'll be back again soon with another podcast episode. If you have ideas for topics or particular people you'd like me to speak to, for example, please hit me up on Twitter. Until then, I'll see you soon on The Spoken Nerd. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to this podcast. The music credit goes to Zanman from Pixabay Music. 